Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Originally, John Benjamin came in to read the role of my father rather than my son. And my actual father came in to read for the role of my father. I had, and I had to tell him, Dad, you're not right for the part, you know? <laughs> that was painful. But for me and Tom, I think the most exciting part of the show was exploring the relationship between me and my son, Ben, between me and my receptionist, Laura, and between the two of them, between Laura and Ben. Having guest patients who were well-known comedians or not so well-known at the time, we saw that as kind of a marketing tool, not so much the heart of the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Thank you for all your support. As many of you know, I live in Malibu, or should I say I lived in Malibu because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if my house is still there or not, but hopefully it will be, and hopefully we'll be back. I had to leave my house within an hour, and you never really are truly confronted with anything of this magnitude that I can think of until somebody tells you you have an hour to leave your house and you have an automobile, two kids and a dog to essentially leave with and not much room in your car. So we did it, we got out, we're safe, and hopefully our house will still be there when we get back. But again, thank you so much for all of your kind wishes. And I'm sorry I've been kind of uh, late on a few of these podcasts. I hope you can forgive me and understand. It's been a really, really crazy time. My mother used to have this great expression, and it's never more apparent until this day. You make plans, and God laughs. But I'm very, very excited about my guest today, part one of two, with Emmy and Peabody-winning artist, writer, stand-up comedian, producer, Jonathan Katz. And I know you're really going to be inspired by this guy. He's 
an incredible man who's gone through a lot and has come out on the other side and one of the most respected people in our business. Before I get started, if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram, and I will answer everything that you send me. All right, without further ado, let's introduce our guest today. Very excited. Here goes. Jonathan Katz started doing stand-up comedy in 1981, and the improv in New York City was his first home. Jonathan's earliest credit was being musical director for none other than Robin Williams. And around that same time, Jonathan formed an extraordinary bond with David Mamet, and together they created the amazing film House of Games. And a few short years later, he played a sleazy comedian in Mammoth's movie, Things Change. He made his late-night stand-up debut on Late Night with David Letterman in 1985 and was so well-received, he returned eight times. Soon after, he did The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson twice, Leno twice, and Conan another seven times. But the work Jonathan did that really attracted attention was an animated series he created with Tom Snyder for Comedy Central called Dr. Katz, Professional Therapist, where Jonathan played the title role and booked some of the greatest comedians of our generation as his patients. After that, Hollywood took a real interest in Jonathan, first NBC, then DreamWorks, followed by Paramount, where he created a show called Raising Dad, which aired on the WB Network. Throughout his career, he has had significant roles in many animated shows, including Home Movies, Adventure Time, Explosion Bus, and Bob's Burgers. But probably more people have seen him as the social worker in Eddie Murphy's film Daddy Daycare than in any other role. Most recently, he collaborated with Mamet again, writing a book entitled The Home for Unfortunate Animals. You can hear him regularly on his podcast, Hey, We're Back, on WCATS.com and can check out his new venture, Dr. Katz, the audiobook, exclusively on audible.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome one of the most respected people in our industry, loved and revered by all, including me. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jonathan Katz. Thank you so much. Please, Barry, uh, don't make me cry. <laughs> we'll have that Jerry Maguire moment. You know, your client, Jay Moore, he, I, I was at the Laugh Factory in L.A. a few years ago, and he saw I was sitting there alone, and he came over and he bought me a drink. And having heard your podcast and, and knowing about his drinking problem, it changed everything. <laughs> I think that was the same night I saw Drake Sather's wife nursing their child wearing pasties. <laughs> that would be a failed effort. Yeah. Uh, but I know she was dressed like kind of like a stripper. You think there's a correlation there between the drink that Jay Moore gave you and Drake say his wife with pasties? Oh, definitely. He, he knew I had to loosen up to, talk, to even approach her. For the audience that should know, Jonathan has such an amazing sense of humor. And it's light, and it's dark, and it's everywhere in between. So for those of you who don't know, Drake Sather was a brilliant stand-up comedian from the Upper Northwest who unfortunately took his own life and launched on The David Letterman Show. 
but his wife still hangs out at the comedy club sometimes. Yeah, I guess he he was a contemporary of mine, or maybe a little bit, probably younger. I think everybody's younger than me. But um, I, I want to remind you about you offering me a job one night. I offered you a job when I was booking shows in the Boston area in New England. This is when I was running Play It Against Sam's. Right. But this was, this is a one-nighter in the town of Fitchburg. And you said to me, Jonathan, the other guy on the on the bill is also a guitar act, and you might want to you might want to go on first. And the other guy was Adam Sandler, and and you didn't tell me the other guy was funnier than you. You just said he's also a guitar act. <laughs> well, to be honest, at that time, Adam, even though he was in New York doing comedy, would oftentimes come back to visit his home, and then he'd drive down to Boston, and I'd put him on, but. He did stand up, and then at the end of his act, he pulled out a guitar, and I remember the first time he auditioned for me, the last word in the song before he said goodnight was twat. So I was just worried about it being more, sometimes at the end, blue, and you were more of a clean act. You never swore. Well, that's that's almost true. I, I mean, I used to do this joke long before we met, when, when I was doing stand-up in New York, about how I had two pickup lines. And one of them was, um, gee, a guy can work up a thirst casting a major motion picture in a town like this. <laughs> and the other one was, excuse me, miss, does my penis taste funny to you? <laughs> and then one day I met Paul Reiser for the first time and he said, wait a second, are you Jonathan? Does my penis taste funny to you, cats? <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy, so I stopped doing that joke. I also stopped because my kids were growing up. I should preface to the audience that you weren't a guitar act. You just closed off with this bit that I remember you pulled out this guitar that was like literally a guitar that a, a little person would use. Yeah. And you plugged it in. You're doing all the nuances of it all. And then the first line you'd say to the crowd was, it said dry clean only. Really? Oh, did I make? Oh, now I get it. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. That's when I used to close with "Save the Last Dance." I guess I I had the vocals, backup vocals, and the bass pre-recorded, and I had a cassette player installed inside my guitar, and I could start and stop the tape. So I would be singing. I'd be singing live the the lead, but all the all the vocals would be pre-recorded. So I'd say to the audience, "Help me out here if you know this one." And all of a sudden, these wonderful chorus of singers would burst in. That was hopefully laugh on a good night. That would get a huge laugh. And what was weird about it was you never showed me the device was it one of those cassette players that had the play and record button on the back like that you use for your bar mitzvah yeah like a sony a sony walkman cassette player and it happened to i brought us to some guy in austin i think we used to have an office hey barry you're not still renting that office are you <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing do you do you remember what you put that cost you on a 
what the rent was? Yes, it was $150 a month, the entire apartment with heat and hot water included, and the office. Oh, my God. Do you miss those days? Do I miss being in a basement in Alston, Massachusetts? Well, forget about that part, but do you miss the, the other aspects of, of, of life then? It was a simpler time because I think what I loved about it, it was the first time in my life that the world gave me evidence that I could do something and I could do it and I could make it happen and I could garner the attention of people who were older than me and I could create moments for people where they could explore their creativeness. And so when you create something from nothing, but I wasn't really an artist. What you did then and what you do now is in fact creative. You know, it's not, it's not create. It, 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 there is so much creativity in, be, in being a good in management, you know, if you do it well. And I, I've had that experience a couple of times in my career, uh, including now. I'm working with a very creative guy. Were you good with the women back then? I, I actually, well, when I was sing, when I was single, yeah, I, I think I had. A, uh, this is disgusting, but a pretty good track record. You know, you know, it's a good way to approach women. If, if you see somebody you think is attractive, you walk up to her and say, "When are you going to make me a grandfather?" <laughs> so, where did you meet your wife? We met through her sister and I went to college, and we got connected that way. Now they say a woman knows within five minutes of meeting a man if she's going to be with him. Did she know? I think I think maybe ten minutes in this particular case, I, I it was a pretty a pretty immediate connection for both of us. Um, the weirdest thing, yeah, I don't know if you know that her my wife's last name is Cates, Cats married Cates. Um, but I remember you came to our home in Newton once, and you admired the floors, and I didn't realize there was anything special about our floors. But we had these oak floors, but I I guess you appreciated them. I've always had an affinity for old wood floors after I saw your house. And even to this day, I will look for that kind of floor. One, one of the reasons I had beautiful oak floors was, was the fact that my father-in-law was one of the founding people of National Lumber. He was in the lumber business, which really helped. So but what I wanted to ask you about your comedy is when you first decided you wanted to do stand-up and you sat down and you were sort of constructing what would be your first five minutes or ten minutes, did it just come off the page that way? I ask that because I'm fascinated by people like Rodney Dangerfield who started as Jack Roy doing a certain kind of stand-up and then became Rodney Dangerfield. So what came off the pen first for you? You know, Barry, I, I, I had a band called Cats and Jammers. I'm, and I, w I went from doing, I went from having a five-piece band to doing the cabaret scene in New York, which is where you could do music and comedy. And I had to find a place where I didn't need, I didn't need to be a laugh-a-minute guy, which is what... And if you may, if you're getting a laugh in a, mi a minute in a comedy club, you're going to be unemployed very soon. You need to do a lot more than that. But in cabarets, you can do a song, you can be whimsical, you can tell a story, 
and I, I worked at this place called West Beth in New York. Did you remember that place? Of course, the West Beth Theater. Uh, that was on 44th Street, I believe, and 8th Avenue, right? Yeah, actually 42nd and 8th. But I discovered not so long ago that was run by Louis Black, which I never knew at the time. I didn't know Louis Black, but that was a great place to work. Were there other comedians like you that were working there? You know, Barry, like every other comedian, I was so self-involved. The only people I remember who performed there was a, was an improv group called, I think they were called Bojest. It was, I think, five women. One was Nancy Shane. One was Jane Brucker. Um, the others I didn't know, but they they're still performing. You're such a cerebral guy, yet you named your band Cats and Jammers. Now, that is diametrically opposite to any kind of pun or joke you would ever write in your entire life. You would actually chastise yourself if you wrote a joke like that. Well, it paid off, you know, ultimately. Because when we broke up, I got to be Cats. And they got to be they got to be jammers. When you were doing your stand up, you had the band, but then you transitioned into some kind of a stand up act alone. How did you make the decision to do that, and what was the impetus for doing so? Well, because when I when I when I sang, people didn't really respond that well. When I talked, people laughed. And when I danced, people left. You know, the first time I actually did, my my cousin, Paul, was always encouraging me to get on stage. And one night I went on stage at the Bitter End in New York, owned by Paul Colby, the late Paul Colby. But um, I decided to do a couple of jokes in the middle of I, I went on with my guitar to do music, but I was wearing this very tight chamois shirt you know, it's a, a kind of fashionable at the time. And I got on stage and I was so nervous. And I, and I went from a sitting position to a standing position, picked up my guitar, and all of the buttons on my shirt popped open. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my, my first joke was, um, I've been called a white Paul Simon. <laughs> and I, I thought... I thought I was the only guy that sounded whiter than Paul Simon. But that's a joke that you would do in your act, so you were writing like that right away. Yeah, but I guess I guess it's the writing part that threw me because I didn't actually never actually wrote stuff down. Um, I admire these guys who can write a new hour every once in a while. I'm one of those guys who's proud that I can remember my old hour. Have you ever done an hour special? I've done a half hour special twice. Does that count? Yeah, you just put them both together and it's an hour, I guess. I would think that there could be a really interesting hour special for you at this time. Yeah, especially if half of it was animated. That would be fun. I mean, has anybody done an animated stand-up special? I don't think so. Um... And and I have this real jealousy of Dr. Katz because Dr. Katz is more famous and more popular than Jonathan Katz. 
Although last night I went somewhere in, in, in Watertown and I got recognized, which was exciting. Uh, the last time I saw you in your physical form, I was at the Fox Network and you were in the lobby. You had just gotten done with a pitch there. I was pitching a show to HBO. I don't know if you know John Marcus, if you ever met him. I did. He's a guy who, who wrote and on Cosby and created shows with Al Franken, a really talented guy. Um, and we were pitching a show to HBO about a guy who was living in Katona, which is in Westchester, New York. And in our minds, it was portrayed by Jeff Goldblum. So we had Jeff Goldblum there, uh, which is a little over the top for a pitch. Uh, and then we had music. I, I don't know, it was just so overly produced, this pitch. And Carolyn at one point said, boy, I hope this show has the production values of the pitch. <laughs> um, and then I've done other pitches for CBS. I did a pitch for uh, a guy named Gene Stein, who was in charge of comedy at CBS for years. And I tried a bunch of... I was there with Bonnie Burns, and I tried a bunch of different approaches. Nothing seemed to catch his interest. And then I'm as as I'm leaving, I make a joke, which was, I think the joke was, uh, my daughter wants to go on birth control pills, but we don't think she's old enough. So we gave her placebos. And he said, that's our show. And we made a pilot called From Where I Sit, which uh, never aired, but it was with... Peter Falk, Lizzie Kaplan, Brie, what was it Brie Larson? No, um, uh, Robert Klein, just a wonderful cast, Jane Addams, but uh, I guess Les Moonves didn't bite. Apparently he bit other things. <laughs> <laughs> For our audience, in your mind, approximately... How many pitches have you been on for scripted series television? And how many successes out of those pitches, percentage-wise, have you had? So our audience can know how difficult it is. Oh, it's so hard. I mean, it's such a competitive business. I've probably been on um, maybe 15 pitches in my life, pitching shows. And maybe more. Um, and I've gotten two shows on the air, and I've made one pilot. The shows I've gotten on the air were with were Doctor Katz, which I made with my friend Tom Snyder. And the other, the and the other show is Raising Dad, which I, which starred Bob Saget, um, for the WB. But it's really hard to get a show on the air. It's hard to get a pilot made. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. 
with exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. When you pitched Dr. Katz, could you let our audience know what happened from cradle to grave from the moment you had a vision in your head of this possible germ of an idea and how you got to the point where you were ready to pitch where you pitched and what happened from there well you know for your audience maybe maybe i should tell them what dr katz is it was an animated show on comedy central about a therapist portrayed by me his son, portrayed by John Benjamin, who's the star of Archer, Archer now and Bob's Burgers, Laura Silverman. Um, and then the idea was that all, all of my patients were comedians. 
and including the best of that generation, Ray Romano, um, Dave Chappelle, just just a bunch of great comics. And it was essentially them doing their act. Instead of in front of a brick wall, they do it in, in front of a therapist. And it's kind of a, of a breakthrough of a show. And the idea... The idea was a shared, really a shared idea. By I met this guy, Tom Snyder, who lives in Cambridge. I live in Newton. And we discovered we were neighbors, and we started doing many projects together, none of which attracted any attention. Um, and then uh, Dr. Katz all of a sudden piqued the interest of Comedy Central. But before it piqued the interest, you guys were throwing ideas around the room. Why did that one resonate? And what was the steps you took to going into that pitch meeting and tell the audience how you pitched? What was the strategy? What meetings did you take? Who passed? Who said yes? Did they want to do a pilot or did they want to go straight to series? That kind of thing. Well... We didn't meet with anyone but Comedy Central. Um, and there was also another guy involved named Tim Brink. He had a company called Popular, maybe still has Popular Arts. And he was had very well connected at HBO and did sports programming for them. And Tom was a childhood friend of his, Tom Snyder. And he got a meeting with Tom at HBO and they thought this was something that might be right for their new network, Comedy Central. And I don't think I was ever present in a meeting about this show. It's weird. You were never present at a pitch meeting? I don't think so. I th and I think, I think Tom was the guy pitching the show because at that point he owned an animation company. He owned a company called Tom Snyder Productions, which made educational software. So he knew all the technology involved in animation because um, he used it in his software stuff. And he, a lot of the vision for Dr. Katz was his because I was just Jonathan Katz. And he's, he's very good at creating worlds where Jonathan Katz could be funny. Um, and Dr. Katz was just the first and the most successful. So when it came to creating the show, are you saying that he created the show on his own without you? Absolutely not. Barry Katz, you're talking trash. No, no, no. Never in the history of my life of pitching shows, and I've pitched probably... I'd say over 500 pitches. I probably had 100 development deals for artists. And I've never, not one time, gone into a room with a showrunner or anybody without the talent who's the lead guy and the driving force behind it in the room. It's never happened. I think that somehow I feel like Comedy Central was familiar with me from my stand-up, the weird thing about Dr. Katz was they said they said to Tom, well, why don't you make a pilot? 
Um, and it took six months to make a 22-minute pilot. Which is odd for me because the type of animation that Tom used was a type of animation, I'll call it squiggle vision or something. It was a different kind of animation. It wasn't well-defined. It moved a lot. There was a lot of shakiness with it. And it didn't feel like it was the kind of animation that would take that long. No, it looked very homemade. It looked like it could happen in someone's basement. And in fact, the first season was made in someone's kitchen. But, um, but so Tom and his crew worked for six months, and his crew was just two other people at that point. And they submitted it to Comedy Central, and they said, Tom, when do we get to see the real thing? And he said, <laughs> and he said that is the real thing. Because they couldn't quite believe that what, what you were just describing, this very shaky kind of animation, was something that they would put on TV. Now let's go back a little bit. So they asked for a pilot. Do you remember what the budget for the pilot was? No, I don't. That, that's the other thing is that I knew nothing about business whereas Tom was a very successful businessman from other from the software business. And he understood money in a way that I didn't. But the one thing I learned about from Tom about business is that you can make money by making something cheap and sell it for a lot more. But at the time, Jonathan, so you have to do a deal with Tom. You have to do a deal where you have in success if it gets sold, you need to know how much money you're making per show as a voiceover. You need to know how much money you're making as an executive producer. You need to know how much money you're making as a creator writer. And you need to have full disclosure with Tom of what he's making. How did you navigate that situation with a good friend? I had a really wonderful lawyer who helped me through that. Um and Bonnie, and I made a really shitty deal with both my lawyer and my manager told me not to sign. But I was so nervous that it wouldn't get on the air. I caved. It was, there were so many partners in this production. There was there was Tom Snyder Productions. There was HBO Downtown. There was Popular Arts, which was Tim Brand's company. Um, and Comedy Partners, which was Comedy Central. Uh, and you know, it's very hard to make a deal with that number of partners. But the one thing I've learned over the years, which I'm I'm guessing a lot of your clients have also had to learn, which is saying no to things. Because when you start out and you're hungry for work, it's very hard to walk away from anything that sounds exciting. So you do the pilot. You don't know what the budget was for the pilot. Were you an executive producer on the show? Yes. And so the first episode... When did you come up with the idea for what it would be and tell our audience the thought process you had when you're working with different characters? Because in the early days with animation, it took a lot of time to do things. And so sometimes you'd have characters in your pilot that you believed in and you're like, okay, I want this character, this character, this character, this character... And then the network would come back and say, listen, this extra character here is going to cost a lot of money throughout the series to to do. Is there any way we can do this show without that character and we'll bring him in once in a while? 
Were there ever situations like that where you had to cut down on what your original vision of the show was? And can you tell the audience how you came up with the idea for the pilot and what was the pilot? Well, originally, John Benjamin came in to read the role of my father rather than my son. And my actual father came in to read for the role of my father. I had, and I had to tell him, Dad, you're not right for the part, you know? <laughs> that was painful. But for me and Tom, I think the most exciting part of the show was exploring the relationship between me and my son, Ben, between me and my receptionist, Laura, and between the two of them, between Laura and Ben. And the... Having guest patients who were well-known comedians or not so well-known at the time, we saw that as kind of a marketing tool, not so much the heart of the show. Um, and oddly enough, I'm here to promote something that has, well, it's comparable to the Audible show, but um, we still have those characters with Son and Laura, but the show really is a, is more about the patience now. I want you to take me way, way back. Take me to where you were born, what your family was like, what the economic dynamic was of the household, and what was your first inspiration to getting into this crazy business of entertainment? Well, my parents were communists, and they left me everything. No, my, my my parents were both involved in the labor movement. And as a result of that, they got subpoenaed by the House Un-American Activities Committee and pled the fifth. And we we I grew up in Sheepshead Bay, New York. Um moved to then we then we moved to Manhattan to Queens. We lived in every borough but Staten Island. But I, I will tell you how Staten Island got its name if you want to know. I would love that. Well, Columbus and his men were sailing towards America. And one of them points out a body of land and said, Hey, Staten Island, uh, forgive me, please. <laughs> but uh, no, my, my, my father was so excited that I was doing a commercial for this product called Wausau Insurance. But how did that happen, Jonathan? How do you know? What is it that tells you that I want to be in the business, and how do you go about getting in? Oh, you know, I was I was annoyingly funny as a kid, as a teenager. Um, and I guess my comedy attracted the attention of People like, uh... well, my best friend when, when I was a kid was Josh Mostel, the son of Zero Mostel. And I realized how crazy comedians are at a young age. And Zero Mostel was a very eclectic artist that used comedy and music. Was he an influence on you? No, but he scared the shit out of me. Um, because it, Josh and I would play ping pong in his house. They had a ping pong table in their apartment. 
Barry, did you do you know anything about my ping pong past? I know nothing about your ping pong past. Well, in 1964, I was a New York State champion. I was, you know, that that trip to China. The what do they call that? Ping pong diplomacy. I would I would have made that trip, but I went to college instead. But I was I was in the same league as those guys. Were you the tallest ping pong player in the state championships? No, no. In, in fact, I used to I used to play tournaments in. Uh, I think they were called leggings. You know what leggings are? Uh, yes, I do. I don't really pay attention to them though. On people of your stature, <laughs> leggings and I wore like a a tank top. I don't know. I was in great shape for about 10 years. but And I carried a doctor's bag, which I still carry, with my ping pong racket in it. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And finally, Boku Superfoods, the purest, most potent, and delicious certified organic, kosher, and vegan superfood blends on the planet. Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries with their incredible formulated powders that you just add any liquid to and make the healthiest drinks or smoothies in the world. Just go to BokuSuperfood.com. That's B-O-K-U Superfood.com. Look for the three-pack trial. Enter the promo code Barry at checkout. Just pay a minimal shipping fee and get a full week's supply of Boku Superfood for free. I guarantee you'll look and feel better and understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. So many people come to me for advice. I'm sure you experience this tenfold. But I always tell them to get get as much stage time as they can, no matter where they live. And if they go to college, perform for their perform at college. But try not to perform just for friends because they won't tell you the truth about a joke.
Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going for. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.